Hello and welcome to another episode of Out the Gate, your podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. I'm Ben Shaw, host and producer of the show. And those of you who listen regularly know I'm currently refitting Dovka, my family's 35-foot Hallberg Rossi that was built in 1985. I've redone the standing rigging, begun to rewire the 12-volt system, working on the engine, and I have a lot of other projects in the works. And one of the big ones is replacing all of the original through-haul fittings. I'm scheduled to haul at Napa Valley Marina, come the end of September to do that job and others that require being out of the water. So I'll be on the hard for a little over a month and I'll be commuting up to Napa from San Francisco most every day to get work done. Which is why I wanted to put an ask out there to see if anyone in the Bay Area has an extra car they might be interested in renting out for October. I'd simply be driving it an hour up and an hour back each day to and from the marina. So if you happen to have an extra car sitting around that you're not using much and want to make a little extra money, let me know. Maybe we can work something out. You can reach me at outthegatesailing at gmail.com. Talk of refitting boats leads perfectly into this week's episode, a conversation with Marga Pretorius. I knew I had to talk to Marga after reading her latest article in Cruising World magazine, all about the tools she considers essential aboard her cruising boat. I'll link to the piece in the show notes. Then unrelated to the Cruising World piece, a mutual friend of ours who worked with Marga, Mitch Andros, who's also been on the show, said I should get in touch and interview her for the podcast. So I did. And not only did we have a fantastic conversation ranging from the proper use of specific tools to how to survive a sudden breakup immediately before a pandemic. Since we first talked, Marga has become an incredible resource, sharing thoughts and tips as I continue working on Dufka, and she was particularly helpful with my upcoming through-haul project. I can say she's more knowledgeable about cruising boats and cruising boat systems than almost anyone I've met before. And I share this because she's recently started her own marine surveying and consulting business, so you too can benefit from her expertise. Her business is called Dogfish Boatworks and serves the whole West Coast and Mexico. And I'll put a link to that too in the show notes. Well, enough intro. Let's get on to the interview. I'm Marga Pretorius. I guess I'm a a cruising sailor and I've worked as a shipwright for years and I've just started being a marine surveyor. And I'm so excited to talk to you because uh, I guess it was about a month ago I first read an article by you in Cruising World and and then our mutual friend Mitch Andros uh, said, hey, you should talk to Margaret. And I said, I would love to. I just read her article. That's wonderful that he suggested that. He's a great guy. Yeah, he's great. And both he and Quincy have been on the podcast. And you guys, you guys share quite a bit in common. You've both worked similar places here in the Bay Area, sailed the same kind of boat. But we'll get into all of that. I want to, I want to jump back as I do with 
with most of my guests and ask you about how you first got into sailing. So I am 34 now. I grew up in Los Angeles, like outside of Los Angeles and came up to the Bay Area for college. That freshman year was a hard year, like for a lot of people, that transition year was hard. And, you know, my parents had dropped me off with this like old blue bicycle that I bought at the thrift store. And my mom had bought me this little Ikea fix fixia toolkit and then all of a sudden they were gone and I was like well what do I do now I had a few weeks before class started and I was just feeling really lonely at Cal where I went to college they give you like a free bus pass and so I saw this number nine bus roll by it said marina on it so I was like oh I'm gonna go to the marina like that sounds great so I hopped on my bus and it was like an hour and a half journey to the marina, which I later figured out was only like two miles away. Um, <laughs> but it literally dropped me off in the Berkeley Marina. And I was like, whoa, the water's right here. That's amazing. And I had always just loved the water, but I never knew about sailing or, or anything like that. It was so far beyond anything I had you know, ever known anyone to do. So I got to the Berkeley Marina and there was Cal Adventures and um, there were some people hanging out on the porch there and they're like hey what are you doing and I was like I don't know <laughs> I just got dropped off in this new life and I don't know what I'm doing so they invited me to do a race and like that next weekend I was on a race on this Lido it was the typical like westerly winds this was like late summer in 2005 and I just remember thinking Oh, sailing's insane. Like, you know, the little Lido, we almost flipped it. It was chaos. I had no idea what was going on. But after that race, I was like totally soaked. I think I was wearing some kind of like soccer clothes slash yoga pants. And I was just like, whoa, what just happened to me? And I want more. It was exhilarating. It must have been a little bit frightening, but you enjoyed it and you wanted more of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, sailing's always been the perfect mix of like athleticism and intellectualism and then also uh, it's kind of a mental game as well so I've just always loved that that mix of all that stuff and that has kept me intrigued till this day and especially on the bay you know it's so um, intense there's no way that you're not present on a windy afternoon beat into the slot your mind has to be in the moment there. And I think I've always loved that about sailing. Now, another aspect of, of sailing, and you alluded to it with your IKEA toolbox, is fixing things. Because as all boat owners know, you're constantly doing that. Where did that aspect of it come into it for you? So after that first like sail at Cal Sailing Club, I started riding my little blue bicycle down to the marina uh, whenever I had spare time and I needed a job. I was tired of like working at the school library. So uh, OCSE Sailing was hiring and I interviewed there and I got a job at the front desk knowing zero about sailing. And that was really the gateway into like uh, working on boats and seeing the cruising world and even understanding that people live on boats and travel long distances on boats 
I just had zero idea that that existed. But OCSE was such a rich community of accomplished sailors. And I remember early on being at a barbecue or something. And one of the instructors was this really quiet spoken guy. At the time I was like, oh my God, he's so old. And he was probably like 29, <laughs> but I, you know, I was like an 18 year old and I was like, who is this guy? And he had returned from the circumnavigation. And I remember him talking about his stories and he had this story where these pirates boarded him in the Indian ocean. And so then he just, gave them tea and they ended up chatting and then he had all these problems with his boat and he was just kind of casually talking about how he fixed them and I was like oh I could never fix things therefore I can't go sailing very early on it was like oh if I if I want to travel on a boat then I need to learn how to fix things after OCSC I a friend had worked on Seaward for a while and um, I bought a little motorcycle at this time and I was riding it around and it was always breaking down. And so I bought a little tools to fix it up. And when I went to Seaward to be a deckhand there that season, they were a little shy on like a engineering type. So I ended up kind of filling the engineering role and bringing my little motorcycle tools to fix whatever little crisis was happening on the little day-to-day -day running of the ship. Yeah, I just felt myself gravitating towards towards working with my hands. I think it it gave me a real sense of empowerment and freedom. And it was just a whole new world was opening up to me. My um, family growing up was really traditional and I grew up in Southern California, but my family's from South Africa and it was a very strict gender divide. I remember my, my dad teaching my brother how to use tools and stuff. And I remember looking on and being like, oh yeah, my role is to like give them sandwiches. <laughs> Oh, but it'd be so cool to be able to do something. And boats kind of opened that up to me, that opportunity to, to get into it myself. I'm really astonished at your perceptiveness in terms of listening to the stories and saying, oh, if I want to be able to go off cruising, I need to be able to fix things. A lot of people hear those stories and hear about the beaches and the good times and, and don't focus on the reality of what it takes. Do you think it, it harkened back to that desire of wanting to fix things with your dad when you, you, you weren't really allowed to? I think it's kind of hard to know. I wouldn't say that I wasn't allowed to, but it was not, I, when I grew up, I was very academic and I did really well in school and it was kind of, my path seemed clear growing up that I was going to be this like a very academic person. It didn't feel quite real to me. And so I think I saw in the, in the physical world of fixing things, you couldn't kind of bullshit your way through in the way that you could write an essay and uh, know what the teacher wanted to hear or stuff like that you you had it there was a certain truth in it that um that attracted me yeah there was never like a oh no you can't do this but it was just and I think this continues to the day to this day there's a there's a like a classism of working with your hands that is is kind of a blue collar thing right there's a sexism to it and there's yeah. a classism to it you're you're proving that that's that's changing and actually, why don't we jump into a little bit about your 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 last article for Cruising World, which was in the um, 
April issue, 2021. It's all about the tools that are in your bag. I love it. And you were telling me that it's kind of a, a, a takeoff on the, the fashion magazine, what's in a woman's clutch bag. Yeah, it was so fun to write. It's like an idea that I think I was like on the phone with my sister years ago. We were just like shooting out ideas and I was like, oh, this would be hilarious. And it was really fun to write. And then I've been surprised at actually it's been useful to people too, which I'm happy about as well. So it's a really fun article to write. And I think the takeaway for me, for me working with my hands, I have a unique experience in that I didn't grow up doing it when I was 18 or 19, I discovered tools. And I remember repeating like righty tidy, lefty Lucy, you know, uh-huh. like, you know, these like very basic things. And I, and I took off a fastener with an impact driver. And so then I was like, oh, I took it off with the impact driver. So therefore I should put it back on with the impact driver. I had no idea of what I was doing. It was, I would go into the hardware store and just be like, what is all this stuff? So I have a very clear delineation of before knowing the world of tools and then after part of what I wanted to share in the article is that, of course, having the right tools is important, but it's the way that you use the tools. It's the knowledge that grows into your hands that becomes your ultimate freedom. You can have an amazing toolkit and not know how to use it, which, you know, for many people whose boats that I work on they have a different mix of available time and money and stuff. And so they're short on time and they hire me to work on their boats and often their boats have extensive toolkits, but they as owners aren't engaged with the tools. And so the usefulness of the tools is limited in that way. And the tools that I mentioned in this article specifically are not very exotic. They're not expensive. But what you can do with them, what I've done with them, these are the tools that have built my cruising boat and that have brought in the money for me to keep cruising that I've used in all these different ports on all these different boats to do all number of projects. And it's understanding what the tools in the right configurations can do for you that is so empowering. And that's what I kind of, I wanted to share. And also having this kind of a feminist take on the, uh, the tool bag. Yeah, that, that, that feminist take and, the, and even the photos, the photo spread is you surrounded, laying down surrounded by your tools, which I love. And then your last line is you might gather a collection of tools that then you will one day pass on to your daughter, which I, I love that, that, that idea. <laughs> but I also love that it, it, is a, it is that mix of talking about tools in general and the importance of mastering these tools and then going into some specifics, which is great. I certainly learned some stuff. I didn't know there was such thing as a hose puller. I'm going to have to go look at that because I have definitely had my fair share of battles with hoses that didn't want to come off. Yeah, absolutely. I remember starting to work on boats. After Seaward, I um, so I took a year off school and worked on Seaward, and I worked on um, Kaise as well this crazy brigantine that was doing this plastics uh, research stuff. Uh-huh. And so after that, I, I was like, hey, dad. Um, so when I go back to school, actually, I have to like run the numbers and it'll actually be cheaper if I just buy like a crappy boat and live on it versus renting an apartment again. And he was like, hmm, dubious, but okay. And so I bought this 
super crappy boat it needed so much work and so that's where i really uh it was a vanguard a pearson vanguard 32 so a roads design Uh um it was just in terrible shape and i just went at it this was in 2008 so there was some stuff online about fixing boats but there weren't youtube channels to the extent that there are today i bought that boat in san rafael and i knew some boat people around there and they gave me great tips on like what to do but I just did crazy things on that boat I didn't really know what I was doing at first (laughs) what a great way to learn just diving in you know just trying and I remember being so short on money I would buy like a sander and then I'd realize oh no I don't have enough money for groceries so then I would go and return the sander so I could buy groceries and then buy the sander (laughs) the next month and it was just such a shoestring thing but I just was so so totally happy. And then once I started doing it more then other people on the dock would be like, oh, can you fix my boat? And I would just take on jobs that I was not qualified for at all. But I would just say like, okay, like it'll be done in a week. And I would just go all out on it, stay up till midnight, making it happen and then charge them what I thought would be a reasonable rate, not actually the time that I spent. So in that way, I kind of like learned on the job. That's fantastic. And built yourself a clientele at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And it was all, it was all, this is all part-time job in college. So figured I would get a real job once I graduated. But then right after I graduated Cree at Berkeley Marine Center, who I had known through OCSC. Who I would love to get on this show. I've talked to a couple of times, but it hasn't happened. I would love to hear him on this show. He's such a a soft-spoken man. He's hard to get the stories out of, but he has, he has just incredible stories and he's just a wonderful person. He's been an amazing mentor to me. So I would love to see him on the show. He hired you and you started working at the Berkeley Marine Center, huh? Yeah. And it was going to be like a three-week job. And I think I stayed there five years. Just uh, one project led to another. And I just learned so much. Again, similar to OCSC, it was a place and it still is a place where people with big boat dreams and people from all over the world with all kinds of experiences come through. When I first brought my boat out here, trucked it across the country, it it was offloaded there, Berkeley Marine Center, and I spent a few weeks working on her, getting ready to splash her. And just, it was just such a wonderful environment. Like you said, people coming through, but really interesting projects. It seems that the Cree really fosters these and makes possible these incredible projects that are happening all the time. And what a wonderful place to to, to be and to learn. What, What were you doing there primarily? I was initially hired to work on a huge infusion project for them. Cree and uh, Jim Antrim had come up with this idea to sleeve the foundations of floating homes in Sausalito. Okay. Because a lot of floating homes have rebar and the uh, salt water is is getting into the concrete foundations and rusting the rebar and they're cracking. The idea was that we could make big shells that at high tide. So the idea was like we infuse these big shells, 60 feet by 30 or 40 feet, huge thing. And it had a removable door on one side. And so we would build it. I would be the one working on the mold and we'd have to do all these pressure tests and then do the big layup. And it was like three months of work. And I was in my mid twenties at that point. 
I threw out my back really badly. That was like the back problems because I was just like bent over for months, like on this crazy infusion project. Finally, the day came and we infused, which is just a few intense hours of months of work, either working out or not. And it, it worked out. And then we uh, towed it across the bay on a really calm day. And then at high tide, we sunk it under a floating home and then pulled it back up and then put the door on. And then the gaps were filled with this special foam. So it was this big, uh, typical BMC, like a, a really innovative, experimental kind of project. So, so I started on that. Then I kept working mostly doing special projects. I did some like regular boatyard maintenance projects of, you know, through holes and bottom jobs and stuff, but mostly I was doing big refits. There was a big lobster boat that had been totally gutted and had come to the yard disassembled. And so I project managed that and then also did the actual building of the new decks for it and the laying out of figuring out the stringers and the the engine placement and designing the tanks and getting that design to the welder and then installing the tanks. It was, it was just, it was a really unique opportunity at BMC to be that young and to be on all these different aspects of new builds or big refits that really kept my attention and I think gave me a lot of experience rather than just doing I'm just an electrician or I'm just a fiberglass person. I really got to touch a lot of different um, systems and uh, that gave me a really broad foundation to build on. And when did your own dreams of going cruising start to percolate through your head? Since starting in sailing when I was 18, I think I always assumed I would do it. It was kind of, in my world, it was kind of the normal and almost a career progression, right? It's like, well, what are you going to do if you're just working on boats? Obviously, you're going to make a boat for yourself and go somewhere. So I think I always assumed I would do it. And then um, I met a guy and he was interested in doing it as well. So it was kind of like, yeah, well, if not now, when? Yeah, for me, it was always less about giving up my nine to five or escaping the rat race. Cause I, I think I, I'd never really been in the rat race for me. It was like a career progression, you know, it's like, well, this hmm. is the next step. But at the same time, it wasn't something that your family was familiar with. How did they react? I have a great family and they're very tolerant. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> um, I think probably in the back of their minds, they're probably like, okay, this is all good and well, but when are you going to grow up? But they're also supportive of all the adventures. I think um, they've come to understand it over the years, but they're, yeah, they're not a boating family. They're not even an outdoorsy family, really. So my, my little sister actually has gotten into sailing and she actually worked at BMC for a little bit as well. And so I think she understands it more than, than the rest of them. But all of us, uh, I've uh, three siblings and my parents. So all of us are interested in our different things and it's just kind of everyone lives and let lives. So you, you met a guy and you, the two of you decided, okay, we're going to go off cruising together. How did you go about that? Well, so we both had boats at the time. We decided that we'll get a different boat together. And it was actually, I don't know if you know, John and Shannon of PRISM. 
they're friends of Mitch and Quincy and Shannon worked at BMC as well. So it was actually like, they'd be great to have on the podcast as well. Yeah. And so John's like family friend had this boat that was a long-term refit. My partner and I had like, had gone to like after one of the Friday night races that we did out of Berkeley Yacht Club rode over my little Walker Bay dinghy to like knock on this guy's hull because you know the word around the the marina was that he might be interested in selling his long-term project initially he was like you know I'm not selling and this is my baby and it was like yeah okay I get that I get that and you know so then we didn't have contact for a few months and then um then one day in the boatyard, I'm hearing that he's donated his boat to the marina. And I was like, what? And so it turned out that the story was the marina was giving him a hard time because he was technically a derelict because he had disassembled his boat so deeply in the 10 years or whatever it was that he was doing a refit that it wasn't operable anymore. So he couldn't motor out of the slip and do those kinds of things that you need to prove that you're not a derelict. And so he had gotten fed up with the whole situation and just like donated the boat to the marina. But there was all this like controversy over whether that was legal and and it was just like unclear what was going to happen to the boat and people were coming to the marina all by it and everyone wanted to flip the boat and all this stuff. At that point, I wrote the owner, Ted, who's like a really sweethearted, wonderful person. Just a note saying that like, as someone who had, at this point, I had spent a lot of my time in my life as an adult working by myself and working late nights on my personal boat or on other people's boats. And I just understood the emotional investment that he had made in his boat and that if he wanted to to sell it, then I would love to birth his project and to to take it to sea. So I sent that note just saying, you know, that I, I thought it was, it was sad to me that after all he had put in over all the years and all the stuff he had gone through with this boat, that in the end it was coming down to kind of vultures circling and people thinking about how they could make a buck flipping this boat. Because um, even though the boat was very disassembled and was a big project in this like storage unit, he had a brand new engine and a brand new generator and a brand new rudder and all these very nice components. It's just the boat was a mess. Mm. I didn't hear from him for three weeks and then after three weeks he was like yeah why don't why don't you guys take the boat and you just pay me whatever you want for it and then that'll be fine at that point I was like okay and uh Cree actually the marina at this point was like get this boat out of our face like this is such a legal hassle for us everyone is coming into the marina office asking about this stupid boat and it's wasting all our time and it's still a derelict boat. So this boat needs to be gone now. Someone had donated an old wooden boat to BMC and Creed like amazingly stepped up and was like, I'll tow you guys out to Emeryville Marina. I knew the harbor master at Emeryville cause I had lived there before. And he was like, okay, Marga, you can keep your derelict boat here for like six months while you make plans to fix it up. So Cree came over with this single screw, like 36 foot wooden boat that had just been donated. So it was itself in derelict shape. <laughs> he was late because he couldn't get the engine started because it was like a piece of crap boat. Cree is one of the most amazing boat handlers that I've ever met. And it's just incredible. He towed, this is a Kelly Peterson 44 is my boat. 
So he towed this much bigger boat out of a super tight slip and across a windy bay and into a new slip in Emeryville, just cool as could be. And just with a smile on his face the whole time. And that was just amazing because I, I wasn't able to get insurance for it or anything like that because it was just a totally derelict boat. So um, he really saved my bacon there. What a beautiful story. Yeah. And have you been able to stay in touch with the previous owner as you've turned this boat into, from the pictures I've seen, a beauty? Oh, thank you. Yes, yes, absolutely. I'm still in touch with Ted and he's doing well. And he's, um, last time I contacted him, he was doing kind of an RV life. Yeah, I think it's all worked out really well. You know, it was, it was the time in his life to let go of it and dogfish. She was named Aventura then, but dogfish as she is now, it's kind of what he had always envisioned for her. So I think it worked out really well. That's wonderful. What were the key? Uh, I, I mean, I'm they were sure there were tons and tons of projects that you then dove into, including putting in the new engine. What were the, the key ones to get her ready for cruising? Most all of her systems were totally pulled out or were missing large pieces. So, like her cock, so she's a center cockpit. Mm -hmm. Her cockpit sole was totally rotted out and her steering system had been totally removed and the steering run had been removed because the 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 owner did like all the work to ted did was very beautifully executed and very well engineered and he made some really great choices um, to set up a really good foundation to build off of but some of those choices involved a lot of work so like the stock uh, steering run on a Kelly Peterson 44 is um, to kind of go down the port side. And he had installed fancy new fridge system and some other components where that steering system would have been. So mm. I had no steering system. It had a new rudder, but the rudder didn't fit. So I needed to modify the skeg quite a bit to fit the rudder and put in, I actually raised the rudder shelf to make the new rudder post make sense. Also the fuel tanks, uh, it needed new primary and I put in a day tank fuel tank as well. There's no fuel system. The electrical system, he had rewired a lot of the boat, but the, all the primary wiring, so all the battery and um, charging and that kind of wiring architecture was not existent. The rig, the, the stick was standing, but the sails were in a storage unit. The whole rig hadn't been used in many years. So that was like a complete takeoff and strip everything. Sounds and like it was the perfect boat for you. <laughs> I just, it, it was so many projects. I'm trying to remember all the projects. But like, yeah, the engine installation, generator installation, exhaust runs, every system you can imagine. But now you have a boat yeah. that you know inside and out since you've done all of the system work on it. And how long did it take you between purchasing the boat and setting off? I think this is a good reality check for anyone considering doing like a huge refit is that I, with quite a bit of experience and with like unlimited yard resources, it took me, my partner and I bought the boat in July of 2014. I started working on it in February of 2015. So it took about a year and a half. In that year and a half, I was full-time. My partner was working to make the money to 
pay for everything. But so it took one, one skilled person a year and a half, which it didn't need to. I was trying to take advantage of, have a long time horizon and, and do projects while I had the resources of the yard rather than just mm-hmm. doing the bare essentials. But, um, but it did take a while. And at the time it felt like, oh my God, this is never going to end. But looking back at, I think it was actually a pretty quick timeline because we decided to go cruising in 2014. And at the end of 2016, we had both saved up a two-year cruising kitty and got the boat and wrapped up all our shore obligations. So it was about two years. Well, that That is not bad, actually, considering, too, that you were doing the bulk of the work yourself or all of the work yourself. Yeah. And so you shoved off, headed out Golden Gate. Yeah. Turned left, I assume. Yeah, I turned left and it was going to be like a two-year sabbatical, you know? And so that's about five years ago now. Um, <laughs> so that's how that goes. But literally at the first anchorage, my partner, he's into spearfishing and he badly cut his hand with a fillet knife. So literally the first anchorage we got to was San Miguel Island in the Channel Islands. And he got this huge cut and he was in a bad state. And I, I took us over to the mainland trying to be just ahead of this big winter storm. That winter of 2016, 2017 was that like super stormy winter. So when we got to to Santa Barbara, it soon became clear that he needed a pretty extensive surgery and then six months of physical therapy. And uh, even though we had insurance, it happened at the end of the year and all the deductibles reset and stuff. And pretty soon we're looking at a pretty devastated cruising kitty, which was, was just very demoralizing. It was like the winter of the rain and stuff. And, um, but the silver lining there was that we were then in Southern California and we realized that we didn't have enough money to, to do our two-year trip anymore because of all the medical expenses. We were forced to get jobs again and we realized we could get jobs at different ports. That was the really liberating thing. And so after realizing that, I got a job in Marina Del Rey and then I got a job in Newport Beach. And then I was like, oh, I can just keep moving through ports and working as I go. So now the world opens up again. Wow. That six month delay actually meant that in the long run, you could extend your cruising. Absolutely. And it it changed the approach that we both had to the trip before we were thinking about a two year loop of the Pacific, like a lot of people do. Then it changed into like, oh, we're we're kind of indefinite and we're, we can explore places more deeply. And since then, like I've spent a few years working out of La Paz um, for a Mexican company there. It was a really transformative experience to make the world feel like it was open. Everyone with cruising comes, comes at it a different way and they want different things and stuff. But for me as a young person who's not retired, it just felt really liberating to realize that, oh yeah, I can move through the world slowly on a cruising boat without the pressure of, oh, I only have a year's cruising kitty. I got to make it, I got to make it meaningful, you know? It's really interesting because that's opening up more and more. It used to be, you know, you heard stories of people cruising and you, it was really important to have a skill if you want to do that, you know, no refrigeration or be able to be a sail and canvas maker 
and then you pull into port and you can can work mm -hmm. but more and more with internet just about everywhere mm -hmm. and now with everybody working remote thanks to the pandemic it seems yep. to be a, a lifestyle that's opening up to more and more absolutely and that's really exciting to me when i started sailing and started living on boats and stuff as like a uh, late teens early 20s it was like me and a bunch of um like mid 60 white guys and they're wonderful and i learned a lot from them but it is it makes me so happy and so excited for the future of cruising and sailing to see more diverse people coming in from more diverse backgrounds and more diverse age groups and i think it just makes the cruising culture so much richer yeah, I have so many uh, cruising friends my age now, and everyone's come at it from a different way. And so people are still remote working, or some people fly back to work some of the year, or, you know, everyone's got a different setup. Yeah, I feel like I've been like a an analog nomad. I think being a digital nomad is probably a lot easier. There's a lot more work permits and stuff like that to to navigate as like a, actually working with your hands in foreign countries. But it is there. There are these little spaces where it makes sense, and it's all about using good judgment and finding the openings as they come. Yeah, I think that nothing is impossible. And you can do your work even when the internet is spotty. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's great to hear, though, that the cruising community is becoming more diverse in age and gender. Uh, hopefully also a bit in socioeconomic absolutely uh, because it is all about the community at the end of the day when you're out cruising yeah it absolutely is when you go cruising you give up a lot of the markers that that are like the normal things that um that like define a life you know so you no longer have your your regular neighborhood you no longer have your regular job you, you know all these things fall away, but what you gain is this kind of roving cruising community. So yeah, the friendships are very deep and fast and meaningful. Every year it just gets, there's larger variety of people out there. And I think it just makes, makes the experience so much richer. So what port is your tool bag and dogfish your boat right now? So it is in Puerto Penasco. So last year just before COVID started in 2020 I had like a very sudden split from my partner that was very very dramatic and very difficult for me and um, mm, I'm sorry like, no thank you yeah I mean it happens you know it happens on land and it happens at sea yeah and the big question for me was like okay what am I gonna do am I gonna cash out I'm we own the boat 50 50 so Am I going to cash out and kind of like finally get that real job that I've been feeling like I was supposed to get a long time ago? Or am I going to um, double down? As soon as I got back to Dogfish, that was then in La Paz, like Southern Baja, it was just clear to me that this is where I belong. This is boats is what I've always done. And so then I, I took over the boat and single handed all last summer up north to end up in Penasco. Yeah, and one of the reasons to, to be up in Penasco is now as a single-hander, like as a young single-hander, 
there's the challenges of, you know, the time and managing a boat as a single person. But for me also, it's the financial challenges now of like, okay, now how do I do this with a very different income? And so part of being up in Pinasco is regrouping and, and launching a marine surveyor business mm. to, to kind of make, have another avenue to, to keep the cruising dream going. So you spent COVID all of last summer and this past year truly alone. I mean, because we all were isolated, but talk about that experience a little bit. I saw a picture on your blog of you celebrating your birthday with your family over Zoom, as so many of us have done, but you were aboard your boat, I assume. Yeah, I was aboard Dogfish. And um, yeah, it was, a, I mean, it was a crazy year for everybody. And in a way, I feel uh, guiltily lucky um, that uh, I was able to be on Dogfish last year because it was an incredible year in the Sea of Cortez. Any moment you can spend in the Sea of Cortez is incredible. It's a, a beautiful and desolate and breathtaking place to sail in. To have that as a way to self-isolate was wonderful. And then also to have, um, like on an emotional level, having my partner of like seven years, just like overnight, just fall away. In a way, it was comforting to have the rest of the world being in turmoil too, it made me feel less alone, which is a very selfish thing to say, but it was, it was true. No, I can see that. I can see that, you know, the whole world is an upheaval together. Yeah. So I was like, all right, let's, let's go. You know, it was just, <laughs> I did Time feel for new that, beginnings. <laughs> yeah. At that, like when COVID was starting to hit, I had this choice of A, do I take over this boat or don't I? And then B, what do I do? And there was just a part deep inside me that knew I had to I had to sail at that moment because if I didn't sail it was too much uncertainty and at least by sailing I could I could claim my my normal you know and so I I set off and it was it was a I'd single-handed a very tiny bit in the bay on my old boat but I'd never single-handed cruised it was very scary to me to set off not just for like a weekend, but for an indefinite amount of time. At that time in Mexico and in the whole world, this is like spring of 2020, you know, the pandemic was very fast moving and ports in Mexico were closing. And every day there was so much uncertainty about, are you going to be able to leave the port? Are you going to be able to come back? So it was very much stepping off, off a cliff. But yeah. But once I did, you know, I was buddy boating with a great group of people. It was just definitely the right decision the cruising community was just there and very supportive and and I had a great summer that's wonderful and physically the single handing of this boat you know Kelly Peterson 44 it's not a small boat to handle by yourself how has that gone it's been totally fine you know I'm pretty tall and five nine pretty strong whenever I think about this stuff too I think about those young girls, like 14-year-old girls who have like sailed around the world. And, and, I, and I think that with working on my hands too, I actually think that um, technique it trumps strength every time. But that being said, I am pretty strong. I felt completely at peace sailing by myself. I just felt like a very comfortable, happy place for me, which was a good learning experience. What are their plans going forward? 
they are a little bit open. I'm taking it step by step. I'm trying to not work myself into a corner. Broadly speaking, this winter with the boat in Pinasco, like launching the surveyor business, and I also built a another guest bunk up in the V-Birth because I want my girlfriends to come visit and sail with me. That was supposed to happen last year, but then COVID hit. Yeah, I would love to sail with my friends. I also feel like Dogfish is getting a little itchy to do a big passage that she was fit out to do. You know, no no firm ideas. I'm kind of have a lot of irons in the fire and seeing where things lead. But for me, it's it feels like it's my life. So I don't have a time limit on it. And I just will do it till I don't want to do it anymore. But that might be a long time. And we will stay tuned to see where you go next. You have a website, right? Where you write? Where do yes. people um, yeah. where can people follow you? Svdogfish.com is the website. I've used it mostly as a like a portfolio site of of articles that I've had published. The best way to follow it is to um, subscribe to it so you can join my email list so that whenever I put something new on, you can be uh, subscribed because I don't I don't typically blog week to week. And then I'm on Instagram as well. And the article that we talked about will be up there on your site eventually, right? Yes, the article will be up there and then also a little, you know, it's about my tool bag. And so I'll have a little link on there to, um, sadly, this winter in Penasco, dogfish got broken into and all my tools got stolen. Oh, no. But, but luckily, the previous spring, I had just taken really detailed photos of all my tools. <laughs> I was going to say, you've got a record of every single one here. Yeah, I did. It was very ironic. <laughs> so... Oh. Oh, but that is sad because part of the article is talking about how these tools are handed down and it's all about. It's true. Yeah. But, yeah. but in a way that goes with my theme for the year, right? Of like right. loss and get over it. And uh, <laughs> I love it. So I, I, bought, I bought all new tools on Amazon and the, the boatyard owner in Penasco was incredible and he helped me out with it, which is just so above and beyond. So they really took care of me. I and, bet people would love to see your Amazon list. Yes. Yeah, so I'm going to post that because I just had to rebuy all the tools. So you can just buy my tool bag if you're interested or buy parts of it. That's great. Well, Margaret, this has been a real pleasure. It's been wonderful talking to you and uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. I really had a good time. That wraps up this week's episode. Marga's business, Dogfish Boatworks, can be found online at dogfishboatworks.com. And her personal site, as we mentioned in the interview, is svdogfish.com. You can find me on Instagram at outthegatesailing or email me at outthegatesailing at gmail.com. And if you like the podcast, please leave a review in Apple Podcasts because that's how other people will find and listen to it. I'm Ben Shaw, host and producer of the show. Until next time, smooth sailing.